I'm going to go ahead and read Genesis 1-1 for a second. I shouldn't have to read this. I mean, goodness gracious, we ought to know it, right? <laughs> but at least when I teach, I get a little nervous still, no matter how many times I've done it. So I always like to make sure I'm not bollocksing up God's Word. I have a funny story about doing that one time. John 3.16, can you believe it? I bollocks that up and in a moment of pressure where I had to, a guy asked what it was and I, I couldn't believe it was a Jewish man. But anyway, <laughs> different story. But anyway, um, Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, and then... Jump to 27. All right. And as we read in Genesis, uh, God uh, taking the steps he did to create the world. He comes to 27 here and it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I just wanted to set that stage there because we read from the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. What does that mean to you, that passage? What's that make you think? We think we can live forever. Well, some people think we can live forever, and, you know, indeed we can find out in the scriptures that we will live forever, not necessarily in this flesh, not at all in this flesh. But uh, we just read Genesis, He made, right? He created. So, oh, we got Chesley and Linda too. <laughs> well, you guys are always welcome. So, God made everything, and it was beautiful in its time. We read in Genesis it was good, and man was very good. And so, we know he made everything. But also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He did something special for man. It doesn't say he put eternity into the beasts of the field's heart, okay? It doesn't say put eternity into a rock's heart, <laughs> but he put eternity into man's heart. And this would have been understood by most in Western culture for centuries, for millennia, at least since the time of Christ, okay, or even before in the Jewish heart, they would have understood this. But I want to share another quote from you, and I bet you didn't think you'd get a quote from David Bowie, but here we have a quote from David Bowie. <laughs> I, uh, I, I heard of a documentary, and people were saying, oh, this is a really great documentary about David Bowie a few years back, and I thought, well, I'm kind of curious. He had a few songs I liked. I'm going to start watching it. I, I watched maybe 15 minutes of it, and I thought, oh, <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> and, and, uh, but at the beginning of this documentary, they had this quote from David Bowie up on the screen. I thought, wow, 
Does that capture where we are today? He said, at the turn of the 20th century, Friedrich Nietzsche, he was a great German philosopher of the basically the, uh, the 19th century, the 1800s, he proclaimed that God is dead and that man killed him. So you've probably heard that phrase, God is dead. Time Magazine had a big cover that said, is God dead back in the 60s? And some of that comes from uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who wasn't necessarily saying that's a good thing. He was saying that was the right thing, I think, in terms of, you know, there really isn't a God. But he wanted people to understand, actually, what the consequences of that were, okay? And people don't realize that. They think he was just saying, oh, wow, great, God is dead, whoopee. No, it was... God is dead, and there are consequences to that. We just have to understand that, face that, live with that. And so Bowie kind of catches some of these consequences. This created an arrogance within man that he himself was God. But as God, all he could seem to produce was disaster. Okay? When I, hear, when I read a sentence like that, I think um, of the communist uh, Soviet Union, and, you know, a, a, an expressly, explicitly atheist nation dispensed with God and to think of the millions, the tens of millions of people, their own people, they killed without God. That led to a terrifying confusion. For if we could not take the place of God, how could we fill the space we had created within ourselves? Okay? God made us with eternity in our hearts, right? And, and some have said there's this God-shaped hole in our hearts. Well, kind of a funny metaphor. But we have a recognition in our hearts, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, that there is something beyond us, but we have dispensed with that. And it has led to all kinds of confused thinking, not only in the culture, but even in the church at times, and we see that today. So with that is a, a little bit of an opening. We clearly have some trouble, and I want to illustrate how even that trouble has infected the church so in 2022, there was a state of theology survey. It was put out and published by um, both uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway. And so they do this every couple years, I believe. And they combine forces and they do this survey. And it's uh, people in general, but they really want to zero in on what are at least self-professed evangelicals believing, okay? So here's a few stats, and through, the, through this course, the various sessions of this course, I'm going to be sharing various information that came out of that survey in 2022. It'll be interesting. I guess they'll do one in 2024 if that changes at all. I don't think it'll change in a positive direction. Uh, it'll probably change even more negatively. But listen to some of these. Just I'll give you four data points just to think about. 100% uh, 
of the survey results of evangelicals said, uh, agree or somewhat agree that the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Okay. Wow, that's actually positive. 100% of self-professed evangelicals say the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. But... <laughs> 37%, so over a third, strongly agree or somewhat agree that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. So this 100% that believe in the Bible is the highest authority, a goodly percentage, over a third, don't believe it's objective truth, though, do they? Okay. 57% strongly agree or somewhat agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Well, we'll find out in the uh, third class uh, how untrue that is, but uh, that's 57%, you know, nearly, nearly four in, or nearly six in ten think we're, we're basically... Uh, good by nature. And the last one, 37% strongly agree or somewhat agree that gender identity is a matter of choice. Self-professed evangelicals. Okay? So truth, uh, as you can see, is, is under assault. Um, so another word for truth is, is uh, doctrine. Uh, you hear the word doctrine, and some Christians get a little scared when they hear doctrine. Don't be scared. All that means is truth, okay? What's the truth? And theology is the study of the truth of God. And that's what we're looking at in the, in the, in the course of this course, is, uh, is theology to try and help us. But for this first class, we're not going to delve too much in theology, or about, or, or, or God's, you know, objective truth as, as described in the scriptures, but we're going to kind of consider uh, where are we as a culture, because I think it's important to understand the culture. You can think of the Apostle Paul as he went into Athens, and what did he do? He roamed around Athens and walked around Athens, and he observed, and he tried to understand their culture. What were they thinking? You know, what, what did they believe? And so that's what we're going to try and do right now because it can help us maybe reach out and, and help others in the future as we share the truth once we understand the truth with that culture. So thinking is imperative uh, for the Christian. Uh, as I said, um, you know, we, we know that uh, we are to love God with all our minds. Um, but thinking and, and developing an understanding of the truth and, and, and then having a conviction, having the courage to stand by that conviction, having the confidence to hold on to that conviction is really important. Jesus said in Matthew 7, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We don't want to build our houses on the shifting sands of our culture. We want to build our houses on the solid rock of God's Word and God's truth.
Okay. Now, what I want to do now is go to another chart, and this is where we're going to spend a good bit of our time walking through this. Okay. There used to be a little stool, so I didn't have to keep squatting down like this. It's going to hurt my back. <laughs> I'm going to have to wear, have to wear that stool uh, is from. Now I'm going to have to drink some water. I've been uh, getting over a cold this week. It was kind of nasty early in the week, and uh, I'm fine now. But uh, man, you know, you're just drying up and all that. So. <laughs> So for those on the recording, I just took a drink. <laughs> so this is a chart called Humanity's Revolt or God's Rescue. And uh, uh, can somebody read John 3.19 for us? Okay. People love the darkness rather than the light, right? Now read uh, John 12, 46, somebody. So Jesus came into the world to get us out of the darkness, right? We're living in darkness. We want to live in darkness even. But Jesus came to get us out of that. So humanity has been revolting both against God and we'll see against ourselves uh, for a long time. But there is a way of rescue out of this. As Roger Scruton, a great British philosopher, said, without the sacred, man lives in a depersonalized world, a world where all is permitted. Does that seem to describe where we live today? And where nothing has absolute value. Okay, That's the kind of darkness we're living in today. Now, I talk about the revolt against God and humanity, and we'll go through that here uh, over time. But I just want to throw out a few uh, terms. And, and there is a glossary, by the way, on the back of that uh, chart. I don't have these words on that glossary, but some of the words that are going to pop up, you will have that glossary to refer to, because I know we're going to be using a lot of words and uh, I want to make sure you understand what they all mean. But essentially, naturalism is, is where we, we live for a good, uh, live for a good portion of our, our lives. Uh, and that is, it's simply, we only have what is material, what is natural, and that's all there is. There is no supernatural. There is nothing existing beyond th 
this material world, this fleshly world, okay? There's nothing beyond that exists. That's what supernaturalism is. It acknowledges that, yeah, there is a natural world, but there is something that exists beyond it, and that something is God. I don't know if this is a term I'm coining or not, but I'm using this word, transnaturalism. And this is the idea that here was kind of a modern world where we had science coming along saying, hey, we can explain everything without the supernatural, without God. We can explain it all, you know, everything. Even our thoughts are explainable by neurons and, and, and our conscience is explainable by these molecules and atoms in our, in our nervous system and our brains and they just happen to bounce around and, and it's not really, you know, it, it's all material. It's all uh, substance. But transnaturalism says um, we're not satisfied with what's natural. We want to go beyond what's natural, okay? To transcend what's natural, uh, to transform what's natural. And we see that today, don't we? And so this is the idea that uh, we're not satisfied with the natural world. For a long time, modern man was satisfied with the natural world and hey, we don't need the supernatural. Well, now we're no longer even satisfied with the natural world. We've got to change it, okay? We don't even want to recognize that there is anything natural. It all is something that we invent, we create. So how does this work its way out through history? So I'll start here with what I would suggest is early man was theistic believed in a God, okay, believed in a God or gods. It doesn't have to be the Christian God, it could be any kind of God, but something, they understood the supernatural, they understood there, there's got to be something beyond us, right? Something that exists beyond us, and, and there was this sort of natural fear of man, or not fear of man, fear of God, okay, or gods, whatever these were, or these spirits, and, and so man lived this way, whether that was the Christian God or some pagan God or some Hindu spirit or whatever it might be, there was some natural fear, some natural reverence or respect even, uh, or trust in a God, a sun God to give sun for the crops, a rain God to give nutrients to the crops and they would pray or they would dance or, or whatever. But that's where man started, but man didn't stay there. Over time, man began forgetting God. And in forgetting God, that's where we move into what we call atheism, right? Where we don't, we don't believe there is a God anymore. We've simply forgotten him. We don't need him. We've killed him. He's dead. 
He's not necessary because we've got it all figured out, you know, with our science, with our reason. We've got it figured out. We no longer need God. And uh, um, Arthur left, as we, as we begin to forget God, there was a Yale law professor that coined the term godless. That in, in relation, he's write, he was writing about ethics and, and morality and that, and he basically referred to us as all godlets, that we become our own gods, and, and we're, in essence, godlets. Uh, we're not the single god, uh, but we're our own individual gods making our own decisions. Um, and so, in that, you know, what's, what's happening there? We're losing the authority of God, we're just dismissing God's authority, okay? And we're assuming for ourselves autonomy, for ourselves. We're in charge, right? We don't, we're not obligated, we're not responsible to a higher authority, to a God. We're on our own. We make our own decisions, we go where we want to do, go, we make, do what we want to do, we decide uh, what's right, what's wrong. Along with that, you start seeing psychology. Uh, there was a sociologist named Philip Reef. He, he refers to psychological man. Instead of looking outward for truth or for an understanding of who this God is that made us who we are and where's our purpose, what is our purpose, now we start looking inward. You know, psychology more and more became prevalent. And so the psychology started taking over, and then the pursuit of our own identity. You know, while we're autonomous, now we also not only decide for ourselves, we make ourselves. And we see that in our culture today, where everybody's making up their own identities regardless of what naturally might be there, okay, we're going to identify ourselves as we see fit. And, and in this forgetting of God, in this atheism, we moved into something where we basically elevated humanity, right? We're at the top of the pile. God's not at the top. We're at the top. As individuals, we're at the top. We make our own decisions. We, we've often heard the term secular humanism, meaning no sacred. There is no sacred. There is nothing beyond us. Okay? It's us. And, and so we've elevated ourselves. We've taken on the authority that God possessed. Now we have, now we're autonomous individuals. Uh, we even identify who we are. Now, before I go on to the next point, I do want to take a look at Genesis 3.1. Can somebody read that? Serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he 
said to the woman, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. So what was Satan doing right at the beginning? I talked about how we started assuming authority for ourselves, right? We started dismissing the authority of God. What's happening right here? The, go ahead, Zepha. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did God really say that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Look at Genesis 3, 5. Somebody want to read that? Ah, you're going to be a godlet, <laughs> right? There's the temptation. You know, dismiss the authority of God. Assume authority, autonomy for yourself. You become a godlet, okay? And, and, and thus elevate yourself and, and, and take God down a few notches if you even need them, if you even need to bother with them, okay? Well, so Satan, his work uh, is going along pretty well, wouldn't you say? Uh, but here's where we get into something that's really striking, I think, over the last uh, decades, especially the last decade, and we see it more and more, <coughs> is we started fearing God, we began forgetting Him, elevating humanity, and now there are people that are essentially trying to eliminate humanity, okay? We eliminated God, and now there are people advocating essentially the elimination of humanity. I'll call that as we had a atheism, no God, no humans, <laughs> a humanism, okay? And this has kind of taken two forms. I think you're most familiar with this one, transhumanism, uh, which transgenderism is just a subset of transhumanism, okay? Um, remaking ourselves. You know, God made me naturally a male, but I'm going to decide that I'm going to be a female. All right? Um, that is an example of transhumanism. There's other examples. There are people today with the technology that we have in computers, like Elon Musk. He's just, uh, I think they just uh, surgically implanted the first Neuralink. I think it's called a neural link, something in the brain, okay, a computer chip in the brain. And the purpose of these sorts of transhumanists, these technologists that are trying to do this, is to either get past the limitations of, our, our, uh, of the natural cognition, cognitive abilities that we have, you know, to make us super smart. You know, to introduce AI, perhaps, even into, our, into ourselves. Or to even, uh, another thing they want to do is they think um, we could even make ourselves eternal in the sense of we will live on forever, not necessarily in this exact body, 
but they can download us <laughs> into a computer somehow, and we can live on in digital space. Um, I dare say the metaverse that you hear about, Facebook's gotten big into the, into the rename themselves meta and the metaverse, where it's this digital, virtual reality, and there are people that will go into that uh, online and basically live. <laughs> there are people that have gotten married in the metaverse, their avatar with another avatar, and they, they, they almost live their lives in a metaverse. So, so there, there are those that are trying to transcend, to go beyond what we are as humans naturally today. They're trying to surpass humans, to take us to the next level, uh, evolutionary level, if you will, okay? In essence, eliminating humanity as we know it, okay? But what's even more alarming, I think, is there's something called anti-humanism today. There's an anti-humanist movement today where people say, listen, humans are a net negative in the universe. We bring destruction. Think of how many species of, of, of animals have been wiped out because of mankind. Think of how we disrupt with all of our construction and all of our activity, the natural ecological patterns of the world. This world, this universe would be better off without us. We shouldn't procreate anymore. We should just fade away, okay? There was a, uh, I, I don't know what the movie was. It's one of the Avenger movies, the Marvel Avenger movies. I don't watch those. I just got so, I watched the first couple and then I just got bored. <laughs> Sorry if you're a lover of all that. But I, I've read about this one character, Thanos, okay? And he was this master villain, this, I don't know if he's the biggest cheese villain of them all, but his goal and I think he was successful in one of these movies, was to eliminate a good portion of the human race, right? And, and he had, in some sense, this, this uh, noble cause behind that too to, to somehow preserve the, the universe, the ecology, or whatever, all right? That's an example of an anti-humanist uh, way of thinking. So, Did you ever think of this? Why don't anti-humanists just get rid of themselves? <laughs> Start there. Uh-huh. It's a logical place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we have here is uh, you've got transhumanists that are effectively trying to um, fight embodiment you know, God created us, and he created us with bodies, uh, and, and, and those bodies have purpose. Uh, those bodies have a design, a God-given design, and they want to fight 
that God-given embodiment. All right? If we're limited by God in our cognition, if we're limited in our longevity, if we're limited in our sexuality, not to worry, we're going we're gonna to go against that. Okay? On the anti-humanist side, their goal is not so much fighting embodiment, but it's fostering uh, the elimination of man. Okay? Yes, Tina. This might seem like a very immature question. How I'm sure it's this, not. <laughs> how does somebody get to this point? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Maybe not an adult, but I'm thinking of a teenager. Uh -huh. so how do they get to this point? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it, it, I'm so, go ahead, Courtney. I mean, when you're a teen, it just, from what I've seen from my age or younger, it's just social media does have a big leg on it. Uh, like because it's your own, your own life, your own self, self-love, self-help, like you are your God. <clears> your truth. That, your truth, and then they start believing it, and that's where yeah. I what see this. What if you're not on social media? But no, I'm saying like, you know, I know someone, you know, very personal to a person than me. They're not on social media, mm -hmm. very restricted in uh -huh. social things, and yet still is falling into all this. Well, and we're disciplining you uh -huh. to have a, a whole, schools. you know, we want schools, yeah. Yeah. do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. it just like infects, and I don't, yeah. I don't it's the sin nature, right? I mean, in Romans 1, it says, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. So uh -huh. now, you know, it's very clear that it's a baby in the womb, but now we call it a clump of cells, right? And so we go on, and we just see that in our human nature, such were some of us, right? For those who have been saved in here, we now have the ability to not hate God and be a child of God. But it calls us hate, alienated and hostile in mind towards God, right? And so because of that, we come up with all kinds of crazy things, and we have not heard the last of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and so we're just going to keep doing this until Christ comes back. Amen. I guess it just boggles my mind not that you, if you, the sin nature, and yeah. yet you've got people around you loving you and saying, God loves you more, God is good, God is this, but yet they are still yeah. projecting. They're trying to fill that hole they have inside yeah. them within yeah. it. Yeah. But it's important to note, though, that we're not just neutral towards God in our lost condition. Like we, we hate God. We're hostile in mind. Yeah. And so because of that, we come up with X, Y, Z to try and, you know, fill that hole. But we go to Genesis 6 as well, and it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm -hmm. like that, doesn't, there's no room for... Diane, you Much wanted else. to say something? First, this isn't new. It just looks different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're in the Old Testament here. Yeah. I mean, this has been going on since we read in Genesis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Since the serpent got Eve. Yes. To, you know, so it just looks different. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And yeah. whether we're an adult or a child, we're all victim to just sin nature. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Brevin pointed us in the right direction here, and that's Romans 1. If we go to Romans 1, let's take a look at that. 
Romans 1, 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, as Brevin mentioned. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. That's what I'm getting at up here. This is just natural for us to recognize there is something beyond us. Okay? It's, it comes naturally. But what do we do? We start to suppress it. We start to suppress that truth. Okay? And, and oh, well, we don't really need that. We've, we're smart enough now. We know enough about our molecular makeup. We know enough about all these things. And we've got these rational minds. We can figure it out. We don't need God anymore. Um, where, are, where am I? Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They just started forgetting Him. But they became futile in their thinking, as Brevin brought out. Okay, and that's where we are. We are just increasingly futile. We've been futile in our thinking all along. And when we talk about sin in a couple sessions, we'll really get into that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, that's where we are. And, and, and whether it's social media or it goes back, you know, centuries in philosophy where people started questioning uh, you know, the Christian God. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, author right now. He's uh, a biblical uh, historian or something of that sort. Carl Truman today has written some books. I have it in the back of your thing. I think I have it as a recommended resource. One of his books is called Strange New World. He's written an even bigger book on the, on the same subject, but it's a little harder to to, to comprehend, but Strange New Worlds written to most of us, the average readers. And, uh, and so he goes through some of that history that has led to this, to where we are today. And in uh, this part here, this transhumanist movement, this anti-humanist movement is a just, it's, it's a new, a, a newer, fresher, <laughs> Uh, way of suppressing truth and, 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 and a new and fresher futile thinking. Um, but uh, it says then claiming uh, in 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping sins, creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. That resonates today with what we're seeing among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the best answer anyone can give to the question you asked, Tina. 
Okay. So let me hit this here. This was a, a man named Adam Kirsch. He wrote an article in the Atlantic that I read. And he said, the revolt against humanity says that we can move the planet, maybe even the universe, in the direction of the good on one condition, that we forfeit our own existence as a species. He was particularly focused on this anti-humanist view. Following the logic of sacrifice, we give our life meaning by giving it up. Talk. <laughs> well, he, he was an, he's an observer. He's not advocating that. <laughs> he's describing what, what's going on. So I hope he's still alive because he's a good observer. But <laughs> the basic problem is how do you define truth? Uh huh. Yeah. You know, because they exchanged the truth of God for a life, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And they developed their own truth. Uh -huh. Truth, as we know as a definition, is that which corresponds to reality, or in other words, as things uh -huh. really are. Right. So consequently, mm -hmm. people, um, in a sense, in order for them to believe an untruth, mm -hmm. have to dis deceive themselves into thinking what they believe is true, mm -hmm. and that what you believe as a Christian is false. Yeah. Yep. And so I think in, in discussions with people like this, you have to begin with their definition of truth yeah. and work from there. Mm -hmm. Because we see these, uh -huh. all these, uh, you know, I don't even think there's true atheism, atheists, excuse uh -huh. me. Uh -huh. Because how can you prove there's no God? Yeah. Uh -huh. They're agnostic. They don't think there's a God. Yeah. Yeah. It's a confused world. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, lots of futile thinking, but God has a rescue plan. So this is where, where the world is, where the culture is. I'll call it the way of hubris, the way of arrogance, where you can take and get, just get rid of God and make yourself a godlet, okay? Proverbs 23, 7. Yeah. I mean, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 14, 1. A fool says in his heart there is no God. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely, and that's where we are. But God has a rescue plan, and we're going to be looking at this, in essence, over the next several weeks. Uh, you know, and, that, and, and this is the way God views history. One, there's creation, then there's corruption, the sin, the things we just read about in Romans 1, the things we read about in Genesis. There was an old covenant with the Jewish people, uh, and in uh, a promise of a Messiah where we have Christ come and redeem us for our sins, of our sins. We have a new covenant where now the law of, of God is in our, in our hearts, written on our hearts. And there's ultimately going to be a restoration. All this junk, all this stuff we're seeing is going to go away. <laughs> That's God's rescue plan. That's God's story. Okay, this is the story we're witnessing in the world around us and in that in people are telling themselves. But in the, behind the scenes, unknown to many of these people, most of these people, this is what God has planned. Okay, and that is the way of humility.
We have got to humble ourselves. We can't become godless. We have to recognize there really is a God who created us, and He has a plan. God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember Adam Kirsch said, you know, these anti-humanists give their, their lives meaning by giving it up. Well, there is something true about uh, and good about the idea of giving one's life up for another, okay, but they've got it misplaced. They don't understand where that really happens and matters in, in a saving way, okay? So, what do I got there? There we go. So, real quickly here, uh, this is the land of light, the land of darkness. We've been looking at the land of darkness in detail here. People love the darkness rather than light. Jesus comes into the world as light. Okay, so how there's this huge separation though. People are loving this land of darkness. How did we get to that land of light? And this is what I call gospel stones of our faith or truths, five fundamental truths of our faith. Okay, God, sin, grace, Bible, Christ. What do I mean by that? So what we're going to be doing in the course is spending time understanding that God is greater than we think, okay? We all have our notions of who God is. Before we knew Christ, we had our ideas of who God was. Even now that we know Christ, we have our ideas of who God is. Whatever your idea of who God is, I trust, I hope, I pray, it's informed by truth. But guess what? It's not big enough. Because you're not big enough. You're finite. He's infinite. God is greater than we think. And yes, we're going to be puzzled. We're going to be confused about some things. We're not always going to understand, wait a minute, how can Jesus be both fully human and fully divine? Wait a minute, how, how can, how can uh, God, you know, elect me before the foundations of the world and yet somehow I'm called to, to put my faith in Him? How, how do those things go together? I don't, I don't understand all those things altogether, okay? I never will, this side of heaven anyway. Maybe He'll make it clear to me one day. But God is greater than we think, and that's what we're going to be focused on next week. We're worse than we think, okay? Every one of us thinks better of ourselves, even in Christ, than we really ought, okay? We need to be reminded. And if you don't like having your toes stepped on in church, I'm sorry, you need your toes stepped on in church, <laughs> okay? Grace is more amazing than we think because when we get a grip on this, on who God is, so we're going to be looking at His attributes next week, and we get a grip on this, who we are, what the Bible says about us, uh, how? 
I do, I'm, I'm hopeless. This is hopeless. I'm helpless. You'll really appreciate how amazing grace is. All of this thinking has to be informed by Scripture, okay? We can turn to philosophers. We can look at the sociologists. We can uh, consult Taylor Swift, whatever it is. <laughs> um, you know, our think has to be informed by Scripture. And ultimately, all our thinking needs to be aimed towards Christ. He must be our supreme thought. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Here I see you scribbling and scratching. I have a, I have, I've made a copy of this for you. <laughs> I thought you were getting it next week. Sorry about that. But... Uh, Anyway, um, if you'll turn to your um, uh, uh, the other handout that has some blanks on it, okay? I think we're done with that. But I want to share a little bit uh, here. So I believe you have a root cause. Is that the next? Uh, yeah, the root cause. So again, what's the problem here? The root cause, I'll call it hiding from God. Suppressing the truth, whatever we want to call it, forgetting God, it's a hiding from God. We're either actively killing God, okay, which is an act of denial. Uh, that would be atheism. Uh, you've just dispensed with him. We don't need him. Uh, Psalm 14.1, as, as Chesley said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or actively forgetting God where we just substitute uh, something else for God, some idol. Idolatry becomes our, our way of, of going forward. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, a great uh, Russian dissident at the time of the Soviet Union, and uh, in a uh, speech he gave, a Templeton uh, Prize acceptance speech, he said in 1983, he was relating a story about when he was growing up and his father and some uncles were talking about all the depravities in, in Soviet Russia and, and, and why is all this happening to us? And, and the uncles or his dad said, men have forgotten God. Okay? That's still true. Uh, Jeremiah in thir Jeremiah 1325 uh, he was in his, his book relating some of the God's many sober assessments of Israel's people, God's people, um, and uh, prior to the exile. And he said this, uh, you have, for, or God said this through, through Jeremiah, you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. Jeremiah 13, 25. And then there's a passive disregarding of God, okay? Uh, it's just an act of ignoring Him. It's essentially a practical atheism, an agnosticism, a deism, where you believe that, yeah, there is a God, and yeah, I mean, maybe He created it, but then he, it's hands-off now. He doesn't care. He's not involved. Or it's just simple disobedience. We know what He says, and we just ignore it. And so we disregard Him. Um, it, Things out, so I missed the first couple blanks. Actively, what? 
the first one's actively killing God. The second one's actively forgetting God. The third one's passively disregarding God. Okay, and could you give blanks for an act of... Act of denial, act of substitution, and an act of ignoring. Thank you. Okay? So how to heal our thinking. Um, first, we need an infusion of true truth. This is where we're going to find true truth. Our think must be informed by Scripture. You know, uh, Pontius Pilate, I love his question to Jesus uh, in, in John 18, 38. What is truth? Okay. Pilate was confused. So many of us are confused. What is truth? And this is truth. The world wants to only affirm man-made truth. We need to affirm God-given truth, okay? This idea of your truth, as is, is, uh, Courtney and I were talking about earlier, uh, how is that even truth? If your truth is different than Nancy's truth and different than Mark's truth, how is that even... That, that doesn't satisfy the definition of truth. <laughs> Um, Francis Schaeffer, a great apologist um, of the last century, said Christianity is not a series of truths in the plural, but rather truth spelled with a capital T. Truth about total reality, not just about religious things. I think this is an important point. Biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality. Yeah, my chart's gone. But all of that stuff we just walked through, that's the reality people are trying to make sense of and, 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 and totally getting wrong. Okay? God gives us truth about total reality. Um, Schaefer said, uh, total truth, or true truth, as we find in the scriptures, is actually equal to total reality. Um, Nancy Piercy, she's said before, she wrote a book, Finding Truth. We've limited Christianity to salvation and sanctification. Christianity is the truth about everything. If you say you have a Christian worldview, that means that you see the world through that lens, not just how people get saved and what to stay away from, okay? We need, you know, Al Mohler is big about a Christian worldview. If you ever listen to his daily briefing, uh, a podcast he has every day. Um, but, you know, we must have a Christian worldview. We must look through Christian lenses. And... Uh, Sometimes things might get a little fuzzy <laughs> for us. Right now, I, I've got an eye. I've got what they call a vitreous separation. I just got this week. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm a guy that always cleans my glasses. These glasses, uh, you know, the, by the time these glasses are five or ten years old, you'd still think they were brand new. That's the kind of guy I am. I hate dirt on my glasses. And here the other day, I ended up with, oh, I was worried it was a, retinal detachment it turned out it's a vitreous separation as you get older that gel in your eye shrinks up a little bit and it separates from the inside surface of the eye and all of a sudden now I've got 
weird squiggly lines and stuff floating around in this eyeball that just, you know, it's like I've got dirt on my glasses or I've got water drops on my glasses and it's just crazy just in this eye. But, uh, you know, sometimes there's things that get in our way and obscure our vision a bit or confuse us a bit, but we keep going back to this word, keep going back to this word for the truth, to see it, to get a world, uh, 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 the lens of God. Um, so I think the next uh, blank you probably have is God is truth, and it's triune truth, okay? So uh, concerning the Father, Jesus in John seven twenty eight said, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. The Father who sent him is true. And him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Christ himself, the Son, in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. So the Father's called the truth. The Son's called the truth. And then the Spirit, John 16, 13 through 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so we must recognize first and foremost that God is truth. So anything that issues from God is going to be truth. God's truth, this thing that was issued through God, is documented truth or inscripturated as a big fancy theological word. It's put into scriptures. Uh, in Psalm 119, 160, we read, the sum of your word is truth. Okay? Uh, God's truth is life-changing and world-changing truth. Back to Alexander Solzhenitsyn in a, in a Nobel lecture in 1970, he said, uh, he quoted a Russian proverb which says, one word of truth shall outweigh the whole world. And the one word of truth that can change the whole world is the word Christ, Jesus. Okay, that's the power in that one word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. So, um, question I probably need to ask of you is, are you of the truth? I believe you all are. But, you know, we always have to ask that question because we can deceive ourselves. Are you of the truth? Pilate asked Jesus, what is the truth? And Jesus in John 18, 37 said this, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And lastly, God's truth is the greatest truth. Okay? The Puritan George Swinnock said, Our noblest faculty for 
our noblest faculty, our understanding, will derive matchless delight from its intimate acquaintance with the greatest truth, God. He said, uh, he went on, he said, our eternal happiness consists in large part in our perfect knowledge of the blessed and boundless God. Our present holiness also depends a great deal upon our knowledge of God. So I dare say next week's class is, I can't say it's a, the most important because then there's the last week's class on Christ. But anyway, but it's really important. <laughs> so how do we go about healing our thinking in this uh, crazy world we live in? I have here a therapy of thinking to build up our faith. Uh, first, recognize we fail to think, our failure to think. Um, you know, we have two directions we sometimes go. One is we revere thought too much. We get super intellectual and we, we try and, you know, we, we admire those who know so much. You know, the gospel can be understood by a child, okay? I've used a lot of big words today. I hope I haven't confused you. <laughs> you know, but that's to help us think about where we are. But it's a pretty simple message. And these five truths that we're looking at in the next five sessions are the basics, really. Uh, but another way we can go is sometimes forsaking thought. You know, we just take it real simple. You know, the Bible said it. I believe it. That closes it or whatever, you know, or, or we have, a, I just have a blind faith. If you have a blind faith, I'm sorry, you're blind. <laughs> you know, you should not have a blind faith. What did Jesus say? We should love him with our minds. That's not a blind faith. You know, we are to be in this word. If we want to know God, we have to be with God in his word. Um. Next, the command to think. We're told, you know, as I just said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Psalm 119, one of the great psalms, six times in that psalm we are told to meditate. Meditate on God's word, on God's truth. You know, on his precepts and his statutes, his ways, his wondrous works, his promises. Okay, we are to meditate on those things. What's meditation if it's not thinking? Okay, we have the example of thinking. I used the Apostle Paul earlier talking about Athens. But over and over again, we read in the scriptures about Paul's reasoning. In Acts 17, 2, as was his custom, he reasoned with them. Acts 17, 17, he reasoned in the synagogue and in the marketplace. Again and again, reasoned in the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews, reasoning and persuading, reasoning daily. Think over what I say, for, what, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, he says. So over and over again, we see Paul giving us a wonderful example of a man who's reasoning and thinking. Uh, and then the indispensability of thinking. Um, Romans 12, 1 to 2 is, is our daughter Ellen's favorite verse, I think she said before. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your body? No. A lot of people are focused on renewing their bodies today, aren't they? <laughs> the mind, the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, I think I might have down there enablers for our thinking. Do I have that spelled out for you? Yes, sir. Okay. And goals for our thinking and result of our thinking. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. I want to hit the takeaways. Um, so the main point of this session is to stress a confused culture needs true truth. Okay. So we, the church, must not be distracted but focused on God's truth and sharing it in God's way. All right? Uh, John Piper has said that thinking is not an end in itself. We must think about truth with a purpose. What, are, what is that purpose? We think to obey God. We think to truly know God and ourselves. We think to understand how we should live and love others. We think to love and honor and worship God. I think I have uh, uh, maybe a reference to Paul's appeal in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. I'm going to leave that there uh, for you to read. But uh, I'll close with this. Um, Next week, uh, we are going to focus on God, and I'm excited about that. That's uh, one of my favorites to teach. But Charles Spurgeon said this in his, uh, his uh, conversion experience. He said, The gospel is the sum of wisdom, an epitome of knowledge, a treasure house of truth. As the gospel opens to our soul in successes, successive flashes of glory, we stand astonished at the profound wisdom manifested in it. Think on that.